You know, it's always easier to say you'll do something than to do it, especially when the doing puts you in danger. Those who do are often considered to be heroes, and 23 Carnegie Medals for Heroism were recently announced. The medals and monetary awards will soon be presented to people who risk their lives to save others. They intervened to save police officers. They disarmed criminals and rescued people from fires and attacking dogs. And a 19-year-old mother from Auburn saved a man from an oncoming train. I trust you've heard about Ashley Aurich's heroic action. Earl Mormon's motorized scooter was caught in the tracks, and a train was barreling toward him. The 75-year-old man screamed for help, but several people drove by and did nothing. Ashley, who lives next to the tracks, heard his screams, heard the train's horn, and ran to help. She couldn't get the wheel dislodged, but managed to drag him out of the chair just before the train hit. Ashley said she couldn't have lived with herself if she had done nothing. And when asked if she would do it again, she said, yeah, definitely. (laughs) What would you have done? What would you have done? Would you have driven by or risked your life? I like to think I'd be a hero. But would I? We really don't know what we'll do until we're actually put into a situation that tests us. Even if we've announced beforehand what we intend to do. And Jesus was facing just such a test the day he was crucified. Even before going to Jerusalem, he had told his disciples, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge, And crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. He had said it. Now they were testing the king's resolve. Would he really allow himself to be mocked and scourged and crucified? Obviously, we know the answer. But let's look again at the account and see if we can't gain an even more appreciation for what our Lord did and why. We're in chapter 27 of Matthew's Gospel. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and 
a reed in his right hand, and they kneeled down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spat on him, and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took his robe off and put his garments on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. Now, this is the third time Jesus has been publicly mocked and humiliated by the authorities in a matter of hours. First was at the hands of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high council. Luke tells us, And the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him. And they blindfolded him and were asking him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who hit you? And they were saying many other things against him, blaspheming. Matthew adds that they spit in his face. Then, when taken before Herod, We're told the soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and then sent him back to Pilate. Pilate's soldiers then stripped him, put a scarlet military robe on him, wove a crown of thorns for him, set a reed in his hand for a scepter, and bowed before him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they began spitting on him. And taking the reed from his hand, they beat him on the head with it. Thorns. God's curse on the earth because of sin were being driven into the sinless Son of God. They then took off his robe, which had become purple with the blood from his lacerated back put his garments back on him, and led him away to be crucified. Why the soldiers treated him the way they did, we can only surmise. They didn't know Jesus. They held no hatred for him. They were simply hardened soldiers who faced death day in and day out. To them, Jesus was just a man who had been condemned to death for claiming to be a king. More than likely, they were just letting off steam, trying to be funny, finding a little sadistic comic relief at the expense of the Son of God. So how did he feel? How did Jesus feel? He had said he would be mocked, but did he know it would be this bad? Don't you imagine he wanted to shout, Stop! Enough is enough! I am King of kings and Lord of lords! You can't treat me like this! But he didn't. He held his tongue. And then allowed himself to be led away to be crucified. Now it's traditional for a condemned man to be led through the streets of the city carrying his own cross, or at least the cross member of his cross. 
and to be led through the city as an example to those who might be tempted to violate Roman law. And Jesus did carry his own cross at least part of the way. John makes a point of saying that Jesus went out bearing his own cross. The other gospel writers, however, make it clear that at some point, possibly as they were coming out of the city, the soldiers ordered Simon, a man from Cyrene, a Jewish pilgrim from the northern coast of Africa who just happened to be coming into the city at that moment to carry the cross of Jesus. Apparently, it had become obvious to the soldiers that Jesus, after his scourging and severe beatings, was no longer physically able to carry it for himself. And they didn't want him dying in the streets because it was their job to get him to the cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mingled with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there and put up Above his head, the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. They took Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which is Aramaic for skull. Luke calls it by its Greek name, Cranion, from which we get the word cranium, Calvary, comes from the Latin. Why it was called place of a skull, we can't be sure. It's possible that it was a hill that looked like a skull. Gordon's Calvary, a rocky hill outside of Jerusalem, looks to some like a skull and has therefore been suggested as the site of the crucifixion. Most, however, believe the hill inside the church of the sepulcher in Jerusalem is the site and It's possible that it, too, was outside the city walls 2,000 years ago, and some believe it looks a bit like a skull. Others have suggested it was called a place of a skull because it was littered with skulls from crucifixions. Or, as, as legend has it, Adam's skull was buried on the spot. Whatever the reason, it was a frightful place where slaves and low-class criminals were crucified. Roman citizens were protected by law from crucifixion. It was considered too degrading and barbaric, even for the worst of them. But that's where Jesus was taken. He was offered wine mingled with gall or something bitter. Mark says the wine was mixed with myrrh. It's been suggested that this was given to condemn criminals by compassionate women of Jerusalem to ease their pain and that Jesus refused it so he could bear the full brunt of our sin, but there's very little evidence to support the suggestion. It's possible that it was simply wine made too bitter to drink that was offered by the soldiers as a cruel 
And that could explain why Jesus tasted it before refusing to drink it. Matthew then simply says, when they had crucified him. Mark says, and they crucified him. Luke and John both say, there they crucified him. That's it. That's the account of the crucifixion. No pounding of nails and quivering of flesh. They don't even say he was nailed to the cross. We find that out only after the resurrection when Thomas said, unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails, I will not believe. If it wasn't for Thomas and his doubts, we might not even know of the nails. But of course, the psalmist did prophesy, they pierced my hands and my feet. The gospel writers are very restrained when telling of the crucifixion. They don't go into gory details. They didn't have to. Everyone knew what a crucifixion was and was horrified at the thought. Everyone, that is, except for the soldiers. To them, it was old hat. After stripping Jesus, tradition says they left a loincloth, but that's not likely. They nailed his hands or wrists to the cross member and hoisted it in place. They then nailed his feet to the upright and tacked the sign that had most likely been worn around his neck while being led through the streets above his head. The sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so all could read it. When he put the accounts together, we noted actually said, this is Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. After they had finished their grisly work, the soldiers fulfilled prophecy by dividing up his outer garment, a piece to each of the four soldiers, and then casting lots for his seamless undergarment. They then sat down to keep watch over Jesus to make sure no one took him down from the cross. Little did they know that he could have called 12 legions of angels, 72,000 angels to his rescue, if he had chosen to do so. They weren't keeping him there. He was staying of his own accord. And he would continue to do so even when they challenged the king. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. 
Let him come down from the cross and we shall believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers also who had been crucified with him were casting the same insult at him. People can be so cruel. Jesus had done nothing to deserve their abuse. But even those just passing by began blaspheming against him. Somehow they had heard the accusations made against him in the trial before the Sanhedrin, and they taunted him with it. You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. The chief priests and scribes and elders egged them on. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel. Huh. Let him now come down from the cross and we shall believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the robbers, the co-conspirators of Barabbas who were crucified with him were casting insults at him. One of them cried, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. He was being challenged from all sides to do something he could very easily have done. Something I'm sure he wanted to do. Something, however, he would not do. He would not save himself. He could have. He could have saved himself, but to do so would mean that he would be able to save no one else. They didn't know that, but he did. He had come to earth and into Jerusalem to be mocked and scourged and crucified. To pay the penalty for our sin. And to be raised again on the third day, to make possible our resurrection. But in order for him to be raised, he had to die, so he stayed. He knew what was at stake. If he was to save anyone, he would have to do what he said he was going to do. Because he did, he started saving people even then. Remember Simon, the man from Cyrene who had been forced to bear Christ's cross? Apparently, he was changed by what he saw. Mark refers to him as Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, men who were apparently well-known to the Christian community in Mark's day and most likely Christians because of their father's testimony. And of course, you remember what happened to the second robber. After challenging and insulting Jesus, he had a change of heart. 
He even came to his defense and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How did he know Jesus was king? I doubt it was because of the sign. He knew Jesus was king because he had observed the king on the cross. He knew this was no ordinary man. He had seen the king's resolve. He had seen the way he handled being mocked and crucified and challenged to come down off the cross. And he realized that this was, in fact, the Son of God. We, too, must observe Jesus on the cross if we are to understand who He is and what He's done for us. Through eyes of faith, we must see Him there and realize that He stayed on the cross for us. Understanding and responding to what He did for us on the cross not only saves us, it enables us to stand and sing glory to His name.